Everlast is the young adult ministry of Calvary Worship Center located in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Everlast is a place where young adults can come encounter Jesus, grow in Jesus, and make Jesus known. Hey, uh, if you guys weren't uh, with us last week, last week we had Life Night, and uh, for all of you that are new with us tonight, again, welcome. We're super glad that you're here. Uh, but Kev, who just led us to worship, he actually spoke at our Life Night last week, and and if you guys joined us, wasn't it amazing? Like, Kev did a super phenomenal, phenomenal job just kind of leading the whole congregation that was there into a night of prayer. And he also did an amazing job of just kind of using the word pray as a guideline in how we can pray in a more easier uh, fashion. He just made it really understandable for anybody to understand how to do that and what it's really about. So it was really awesome last week. But as you saw from the, the promo and Kev leading out earlier, we are starting our new series tonight called Let's Talk. Now, what this series is going to be about is we're going to be looking at the hot topic issues in our culture today. Okay, so these are going to be like the issues that probably are dividing friendships. These are the issues that are dividing family. This is the issues that are dividing our country. And for some of us in this room, as we go throughout this series, these are going to be issues that probably many of us here in this room, we don't see eye to eye on. In fact, we'll find ourselves on separate aisles uh, of what we believe when it comes to these certain topics that we're going to cover. But I do want to make this promise to you guys that as we're going through this series, Tina and I want to promise you that we are not going to give you our opinions on these topics because you guys don't care about our opinions. You have your own, we have ours, and we can stick to that. But what we do want to present to you guys is we want to present to you what God's Word says about the topics that are happening in our country and in our world today. Because here's the reason why. You have friends and family members that are all seeking out the truth and your opinion on what you believe about the topics that, that come up about homosexuality, abortion, selfishness, and so on and so forth. And because these are topics that divide, when you give your opinion, they might not accept that. However, if you're able to give your opinion based off of the truth of God's word, they can hate you for your opinion as much as you want because you get to point it back to God's word and say, this isn't just my opinion, this is God's truth. Take it or leave it. God leaves that in your court. So, that's our promise to you throughout the series is that we will not give you just our opinions. We, we, we will do the best we can to not give you our opinions, which is really, really going to be hard for me because what some of you guys might be picking up on is sometimes I have like these little, uh, in, in music they call it grace notes. It's like a little note that you give to, before you get to the actual note you're trying to hit. And um, in, in public speaking they call it like unnatural pauses. So that's the uh, ums, and uh, uh, whatever kind of thing. One of my natural pauses, and you guys are going to hear it all throughout this message now, like you guys are going to pinpoint it, it's going to be amazing. One of my natural pauses is I say, I think, because I'm building up to my next point. I say, I think. And normally that's not me trying to give you my opinion, that's just me giving a grace note. So if you hear me throughout the series go, I think, just kind of brush that off and just focus in on what's coming from God's word, okay? Because it's probably not something I really think about, to be honest with you, because I don't think about much. So... Um, <laughs> So anyways, we're going to focus in on God's word because God, is, Jesus said himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So that's going to be the focus throughout this entire series, okay? So let's pray and then we'll dive into this topic for tonight. Father, I, I am truly excited to get into this series. Um, God, to be honest with you, it's, it's kind of scary if I'm to be completely transparent because God, um, being new into this position, and I'm not going to say brand new, you know, I'm, I'm still kicking the tires, if you will, but uh, some of the people in here who are new, checking this out for the first time tonight, or, or they're still just getting to know me as the new pastor of this ministry, God, these are going to be topics that we address that I'm going to teach from your word that they might not agree upon, and they might hate me for it. So God, I, I, I'm, I'm excited for that because I'm choosing you, and I'm, I'm choosing the cross, and I'm choosing the promise of eternity with you. 
and I'm choosing your truth. And if that means that I've got to be hated for it, so be it. But God, as we go throughout this series, and, and your word is speaking truth, and the people in this room and, and the people who will hear all the topics throughout this series as they're gaining foundation to stand on, firm, solid ground to stand on, to take a stand for their faith amongst these hot topic issues. God, they will be hated as well. So God, as we go through this series, I, I, this is what I pray. I pray that our eyes would be open and our hearts would be open to receive your truth. And God, if we have opinions that are against your word, and God, we, we start to wrestle with that, God, I, I pray that you would humble us in that process. And we will settle for what you have to say and not what our sinful nature longs for. So God, I am excited for this, this topic. I'm excited for this series. I'm excited to see what you're going to do because I believe you are in the process. It may just be the beginning. We may be in the middle of it. I'm not sure where, but somewhere we're, we're in the middle of this process of you building up your next generation of leaders. And God, I think that this series that we're about to dive into is just part of that. So God, I'm excited. I can't stress that enough. God, I thank you for tonight. We dedicate this evening to you, and we lift these things up in your son's name. Amen. All right. Well, if you're taking notes, which remember, if you take notes, you kind of get that fast pass into heaven when that time comes. Uh, I titled my message tonight, Let's Talk Christian Gobbledygook. Yeah, Christian gobbledygook. And you're going to hear me fumble over that word throughout this entire message. But let me give you the definition. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines gobbledygook uh, as this. It's words and generally unintelligible jargon. So at this point, you might be sitting there going, I have no idea what you're talking about, sir. That's fair. So kind of let me give you a, a clear picture of this. So if you ever wanted to know what gobbledygook is, go home. Turn on the TV, put on C-SPAN, and any politician that is speaking at that point in time is a whole bunch of gobbledygook, okay? <laughs> now, I understand that might not have been the nicest illustration I possibly could have used, and there's probably like a plethora. I used plethora in my message tonight, folks. Note that. There might be a plethora of other illustrations I could have used for that, but as I was writing this message, that was the clear example that God gave me. I'm like, yes, sir, I'm running with it. But if you're still a little like unsure of what gobbledygook is, there's the first fumble. Here's the thing. The truth is that it's not just politicians that speak a bunch of gobbledygook. In reality, to the outside world, to non-believers, there are terms and phrases that we as believers use in our everyday life that to the non-believer, if we were to have a conversation with them, if we had the opportunity to share our faith with them, and we use these terms, they would sit there and give us this look. Because to them, our terms and phraseology that we use in this Christian walk, it, it sounds like foreign language sometimes. It, to them, it's a bunch of gobbledygook. Phrases like this one. one of, I'm going to give you a couple of my favorite ones. Guard your heart. What the junk is that supposed to mean? Like, am I supposed to like always walk around with like a bulletproof vest on? Like, get away from my heart, no pass. Like, am I like like, or am I supposed to like hire like Buckingham like palace guards like stand there all stiff and like don't move and like you make all these faces and they're like not near the heart, do not get near the heart. Like they're just chanting that the entire time. Like it doesn't make any sense. What does it mean to guard your heart? Here's another one of my favorite ones. There's a, a really cool t-shirt company. But in this world, not of it. What? Like imagine speaking to your non-believing friends and you use a term, you use this phraseology with them. You're like, I, I'm, I'm in this world, but I'm not of it. Right? So what's that supposed to mean? Like, are we aliens? Like, did our ET friends just like drop us off on Earth and forget us? So now that we're like living, like we're hiding away in like some little boy's closet, eating Reese's Pieces off the floor, wearing a blonde wig, bringing back like dead flowers to life, all while like desiring to go for a bike ride in the little kid's basket. Like what does it mean in this world, not of it? Some of y'all need to watch E.T. soon, okay? Because a lot of you, that just went over your head. Because as I was writing that, that was good, okay? I'm just saying. But we, we use these terms and we use these phrase, phraseologies much like Trinity, Christ, pray, worship, 
scripture. These, for us, for a lot of us, this is common everyday language, right? You read the Bible, there it is. You go to church, you hear it. You go to your local favorite coffee shop and sit down with your believing friend, and these are the words that are spewing out of your mouth. But if you sit down with a person that has never heard of Jesus or the gospel or, or anything like that before, you use these phrases with them and it's going to fly over their head because to them it's nothing more than just a bunch of Christian gobbledygook. So, if you're taking notes, again, because that's the fast pass to heaven, these are going to be the four phrases that we're going to look at tonight. We're only going to look at four because seriously, this could be a series on its own. Like, we could take an entire year just going through this. But the four phrases that we're going to look at tonight, that I believe these are the four phrases that we need to know the most when it, when it comes to sharing our faith. When it comes to sharing our faith and people needing that clarification, these are the four phrases that we have to be able to explain to them, hey, this is what this means. So the four phrases we're looking at are sin, repent or repentance, born again, and grace. Sin, repent, born again, and grace. So let's look at the first one. And the first one we're going to look at is going to be sin. Now this one, from the very beginning, it sounds like one that everybody should know. Because I think we all have a pretty good understanding, of, we have a pretty good concept of right and wrong. I think, you know, um, I, I know that it's not good for me to kill somebody, and if you feel that way, let's talk afterwards from a far off distance, but let's talk. But, but I think we have like this understanding of right and wrong. But does having the concept, knowing the concept of right and wrong, does that mean that we understand what sin is? M maybe not, right? Because here's my, here's my thing. If somebody never told you that a stove that is on is hot and you touched it, is that right or wrong? Well, okay. <laughs> let's go to the stove. Let's find out. No, it, it, it's wrong. And you find out because you put your hand on a hot stove and it hurts. But does touching a hot stove, is that, is that sinful? No, I heard somebody back there. No, it's not sinful. It's just dumb. Don't do it. Okay? Like, don't touch the hot stove. But shortly after I got hired here at Calvary Worship Center, uh, my wife, Melissa, and I, this lady comes up to us. We were uh, in charge of the junior high ministry. And she asked me, hey, do you have this kid in your ministry? Now, because we were still so new, we we're still learning some of our students' names. I told her, the name doesn't ring a bell. But is there something that I should be watching out for? And she tells me, well, we had this kid in our children's ministry. And, um, you know, he's a good kid. He's sweet. He gets along with people really, really well. But he graduated this last year. And the one thing that we picked up on was that we used the term sin with him, to which he said, what's that? Now, it's easy to sit there and go, okay, well, he's just a fifth grade kid. But still, this is a term that for a lot of us, it's almost second nature. We know what sin is. Well, at least we think so. And, and I would hope that you do, especially if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus. But it's because there are, believe this or not, there are people like this in the world that don't know our common vocabulary that we use. So we have to be able to clearly define for a person what something like sin is so they have a better understanding. Because believe it or not, sin is the big thing that is keeping us from God. All right? So what is sin? Sin simply defined means missing the mark. And so if we're missing the mark, if sin means missing the mark, then that means that implies, if you will, that there's a target. And there's a target that we're supposed to hit. However, it's not just the target that we're supposed to hit, but we have to hit dead center bullseye of the target. And not just, and this isn't like, okay, hey, you've got 10 shots to pull this off. It's like, no, you got one opportunity. And if you miss the target, if you miss the bullseye in this one opportunity, you sin. That's it. That was your one shot. You're impure past that point. So, what's the bullseye? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, You must be holy because I am holy. So, 
being holy as our God is holy simply means that we're set apart. So if you didn't understand what the term or what the definition of holy was, there you go. I just gave you a free one. There's your fifth one for the night. To be holy means that you're set apart. You're different. So if you were to be holy the same way that your God, our God is holy, then that means that you have to look different. You have to be set apart from the world. That means that you're going to be weird because you're going to choose things that nobody else is going to choose and you're going to reject things that everybody else is diving into. There's going to be something about you that's going to look completely different than everybody else. And I would even go as far to say that it's so different, that you're so radically different, that it causes people to look at you and go, why are you different? What makes you this way? Because if we were to be holy the way that our God is holy, here's the, here's the understanding. Our God is not like any other God. Because our God is not man-made like every other God in this world. He is not created. He is creator. So we have to be holy like our God is holy. So the question is, can any of us actually ever hit the mark? Can we hit the bullseye? And Paul says this in Romans 3.23. He says, for who? Everyone has sinned. We who? Okay, I just want to make sure we're all reading the same thing. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Every single one of us misses the mark. So if you think that you're sitting next, like if you're dating somebody in this room and you think that they're like Little Miss Perfect or Little Mr. Perfect, <laughs> they got horns, not a halo. I'm just saying. Watch out. But I do kind of want to illustrate this. So I'm actually, I, 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 need, a, I need a volunteer. Brandon, you win. <laughs> I call that voluntold. And uh, hey, Tina, if you could bring me my uh, weapon of choice. I'll, sh I'll show you. That was a lot harder to get off than I thought it was going to be. Oh my gosh, I can't. Yeah, okay, sweet. All right. So we have a podcast, by the way, and I can't wait to hear just that interaction right there on the podcast. That was amazing. All right, so I got this cup here, and I got this little marker. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put one teeny tiny point on this cup. That was a lot smaller than I thought it was. All right, well, that's my bullseye. Okay, that's what I'm aiming for. You don't get the gun, I'm sorry. You get the cup. So this is what I need you to do. I need you to walk over there and put the cup on your head. You see that little dot right there? You see that little dot? I need you to put it on your head. No, no, you got to face it. Yeah. Hey, if Diedrich Bonhoeffer can face it, so can you. Here we go. So, again... To clarify, sin means, hey, you got, bro, you're really missing the mark right now. <laughs> By the way, if you ever go into like public speaking or presentation, always practice your illustrations beforehand. I did not practice this. Um, but sin means missing the mark, right? So what I'm saying is that I have one opportunity at this. Actually, I've got six. <laughs> I got six opportunities to hit the mark. But if I don't, if I don't hit that teeny tiny dot that, dot that none of us can see right now, that bullseye, anywhere else that I hit Brandon or that cup other than that dot means I missed the mark. I missed it. I've sinned. By the way, I've been working out my shoulders lately, and I'm pretty sure I tore a muscle, so, you know, <laughs> like this is over-exaggerating it, but there is a little bit of shakiness going on. Are you ready? Hey, do you have any last words? Just get it over with. Just get it. Hey, dude, as long as you're bearing fruit. Oh, hey, by the way, also, when it means to miss the mark and trying to hit the bullseye, in order to really pull this off and to give you the proper illustration, I would have to be blindfolded. But I don't have a blindfold, so I'm just going to close my eyes. Ready? Here we go. Did I even hit you? No. Oh, dang it. I was really hoping. Like, in my head, as I was building this up in my head, I was like, I'm going to shoot Brandon in the face, and it's going to be amazing. 50 caliber. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, as funny of an illustration as that is, it really gets the point across. Because that's what that teeny tiny dot, that's what I had to hit in order to be perfect. On the first shot, anywhere else was a miss. I was going to be missing the mark. And it's because of that, that missing the mark, that means that I am sinful. That's all it means. Me missing the cup, period, means I'm really sinful. Whatever. 
But sin is the reason why we need Jesus. Because our God is holy, he cannot be in the presence of sin. Sin is the thing that caused the chasm between us and God. In fact, if you read uh, the scriptures you'll, you'll, and you pay attention to the, the, uh, the scene of the cross with Jesus, there's a famous line that Jesus quotes. He gets it from, from David in the Psalms. But he says, he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And in Matthew 27, Matthew clarifies for us that that's Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And it's because at that moment, God had to abandon, God the Father had to abandon God the Son because all of the sin in this world, past, present, future, was weighing on Jesus' shoulders as he's hanging there on the cross, taking the place that we rightfully deserve to be in. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, For God made Christ who never sinned never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I love that passage. I love what Paul is saying there because simply, in simple terms, what he's saying is to be made right with God through Christ, then that means that God no longer sees you through the lens of the sins that you've committed and the things that you've done. But what he's saying is that God now sees you through the things that Jesus did for you and for me. A completely different lens. I don't know if you guys have ever been to the eye doctor. My eyesight is horrible. But it's like, the, like which one's better? Option one, option two. God's looking at us through the better option, through the option, through the lens of Jesus. And it's because of that, that's the reason why when we do take our last breath on this earth and we take our first in eternity which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That's why when God is looking at you and you're face to face with God and God sits there and says to you, why should I let you into my kingdom? You can't sit there and say, because I was a good person, God. You can't sit there and point back to all the good things that you did because Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 64 that all of our good deeds are like filthy rags. Why? Because the only good deed that ever mattered was the one that Jesus did on the cross. Anything compared to that is like a filthy rag to God. Because the work of Jesus is the only good work that mattered. When we accept Jesus into our lives, here's the thing, you guys. I can't hit that bullseye in six shots, seven shots, 20 shots, 100 shots. I would never be able to hit that bullseye on top of Brandon's head. But when we accept Jesus into our lives, when I accepted Jesus into my life, it was no longer me doing the shooting. Jesus took the gun, the sin, and he said, <laughs> there's a lot of people are going to hear that over a podcast and be like, that was weird. Jesus took it and he says, I got it. Because you can't do what I can do. So let me do this one for you. So sin in simple terms means missing the mark. The mark is God's glorious standard, which we all miss. But again, when we accept Jesus, it's no longer us who live, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through us. And because of that, it's Jesus who's the one who did all the work of hitting the bullseye. So our second term is repent or repentance. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this one is actually one of the ones that I don't like because this is the one that in my head, the image that I have in my head is like the doomsday movies of like the grungy old guy on the street corner holding the cardboard sign. It's like, repent, the end is near, right? Like that's the image that I have in my head when I hear the word repent. But um, actually a few years ago, I, I got the opportunity to go to Las Vegas for the first time. Uh, a buddy of mine, he was working for this company and the company was sending him out to Vegas and he says, hey, Stu, would you go to Vegas with me for accountability reasons? I'm like, yes. Like, he was like, I'm going to pay for the trip, yes. He's like, I'm going to pay for the food, double yes. I'm going to pay for the hotel, so let's go, sucker. So I go with him, and uh, the first night that we were there, he says, hey, so you've never been here, right? And I was like, yeah, never been to Las Vegas. And he says, well, let's go walking up and down the strip. Let's show you the city. 
Now, there's lots to see in Las Vegas. There's tons to see in Las Vegas. There are also a lot of things that you should not see in Las Vegas, okay? Just saying. Shield your eyes, guard your heart. There it is. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I was not expecting to see as we were walking up and down the strip was there was this guy who's got this like sandwich board over him that says, repent, the end is near. And he's using a megaphone to do like this gospel message presentation. I was like, that one's weird. Okay. Now, and I applaud the dude for his efforts, right? But the reality is that most likely nobody, if anybody, was actually listening to what it was that he had to say. In fact, I would probably say everybody was probably annoyed with this dude because he was interrupting their vacation. And I think it's because of homeboys like that in Vegas and the doomsday movies that are out there. I think that's, the why, that's why the word repent actually leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. Because they, they get this misunderstanding of what repent actually means. Now, repent shows up in the Bible, or repentance shows up in the Bible over a hundred times. And in almost every use of the word repent, it is followed by a word of promise or a word of caution. Word of promise or a word of caution. And I'll show you what I mean. When it's followed up by a word of caution, you see it in Psalm uh, chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. And it says, if a person does not repent, mind you, does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. These are weapons of death, by the way, in case you're curious. He will prepare his deadly weapons and shoot his flaming arrows. Caution, if you do not repent, death is on the way. Second example is also found in Psalms chapter 50, verse 22. It says, repent all of you who forget me or I will tear you apart, and no one will help you. So that, those are the examples of repentance followed with the word of caution. So let's look at the word of promise. These are found in the New Testament. Matthew 3, 2, this is John the Baptist. He says, repent of your sins, uh, sorry, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That is good news. Like, that's a great promise. I don't care what Joe Schmo on the street corner is holding that as a sign. Either way, that's still good news. The kingdom of heaven is near. The new things are coming. The better things are coming. Jesus says in Luke 15, 10, he says, In the same way, there is a joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And if you guys have been coming here for uh, any length of time now, you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again over and over and over again. That when somebody comes to know Jesus in this place, we're going to celebrate like none other because in, he in heaven, they're celebrating like none other. For the sake of one, we will throw a massive party and celebrate along with you. But what does repent actually mean? Well, repent's a Greek word. It's a Greek military word. I'm going to try not to butcher this. If you know Greek, good for you, first of all. Second, don't judge me. But it's the Greek word. It's... Uh, Metanao, and it simply means to turn around. Again, if you were at Life Night last week, Kevin kind of touched on this a little bit, but it's not just simply for the believer, it's not just a physical turn, but it's a mental decision as well. Okay? A physical and mental decision. A person has to change the way that they think about Jesus. That means that when you're thinking about Jesus, the things that you're thinking now of is the birth of Jesus actually happened. This isn't, this isn't, you know, like a feel-good story. This is history. The death of Jesus on the cross, the brutality that it was, actually happened. The resurrection, which we get to celebrate here in the next couple of weeks at the Pikes Peak Center, which is going to be amazing, actually happened. You have to change the way that you think. You can't simply sit there and go, yeah, this is a great feel-good story. No, no, you have to look at it through the lens, again, the lens of history. This happened. The greatest debt ever paid and the greatest promise ever fulfilled happened. You have to change the way that you think. You have to change the way that you think about sin because you have to see sin as for what it is. It's a trap. It's a temporary comfort or pleasure with eternal consequences. And Satan loves it when you're trapped in that. He'll let you feel like you're doing the right thing. He'll let you feel like you're doing a good thing. 
if it means that you'll never repent and turn towards God. It's a trap with eternal consequences. But the word repent, as Kevin said it last week, it was fun. He used it as a three-point turn. He says that you have to turn from sin, and then you actually have to choose to turn towards God. But then you have to make the decision to actually move that way. And we read this in Revelation. Get off the fence. Choose one side or the other. You either have to run hard after sin, which I don't want for any of you, or you've got to repent and you've got to run hard after God. And when you make that decision, you've got to hold on with white knuckle intensity and never let go. Yeah. So this is our third term now, born again. And I follow up, repent with born again on purpose because these two go hand in hand. Because this is the term that I believe us as, as believers use a lot of times with non-believers. And this is the term that people will look at us and go, man, you are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Right? Like, what do you even mean right now when you say to me, like, you're born again? And I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this. I don't know, like, maybe, you know, you could be on either side of this story where either you or somebody came up to you and they're like, dude, I went to church this past weekend. It was an amazing experience. Man, I'm born again. And if this is you, and like you're used to like the party scene and everything, your friends are probably sitting there going, awesome. So, we still going to the strip club? Are we, are we going to go get drunk this week? Like, what's going on? Because they don't understand what that means to be born again. They, they don't understand the life change that just happened. They still see you for who you are. While God's looking at you through the lens of Jesus, they're still seeing you in your earthly form, the person that just went out and partied with them the night before. So it's a very confusing term, and it leaves a lot of people going, dude, what in the world? But the reality is that it shouldn't come as any surprise to us that this is a really confusing term to the world, because when we look into Scripture, this was a confusing term even to the religious elite in the day. The guys who knew Scripture like they knew the back of their hand. The guys that had the first five books of the Bible completely memorized before they even got out of fifth grade. And I'm not just talking about like the words and stuff. I'm talking about like where punctuation points and everything should have been if they were there. They didn't use it, so it's a bad analogy, but whatever. But these are like smart, smart people. So here's the example. If you got your Bibles with you, you go to John chapter 3 real quick, but we'll have the verses up on the screen for you. But this is what it says. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into the mother's womb and be born again. And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now, as a lot of you know, Melissa and I are uh, currently anticipating the arrival of our daughter, Micah. And uh, she's supposed to come April 23rd, but I've decided that she's not allowed to come until April 27th because Avengers Endgame comes out the 26th. So I kind of like have this image in my head now, like, okay, go to the midnight premiere showing, go to like the D-Box movie theater, moving seat, kind of get the labor process started, enjoy watching Thanos lose, and then make your way to the hospital. So that's kind of the vision that I have, but, you know, whatever. But this, this is what I do know, okay? My vision aside or whatnot, well, the one thing that I do know is that we're about to quickly learn whether we have an obedient child or a disobedient child, based off of when she comes. Because if, if she makes me miss Endgame, oh, Lord help her. I'm just saying. And I know it's going to come out on digital and Blu-ray and all the fancy terms that they use, but come on. The rest of you are going to ruin it for me, and then I'm going to wish bad things upon you. So whatever. But, but every new parent gets to experience this beautiful thing when they're expecting called birthing classes. And it's an amazing time. 
let me tell you, as you walk into this room with other like expecting anxious parents, like you start going, you go through this class and they're teaching you like, hey, this is the birthing process. And, and you know, the person that's teaching you, she's got like that nice, sweet voice. She's like, we got the candle lit for you. We're going to make this a calm place. So we're going to show you the birthing process and we're going to show you how to breathe through the contractions. Here comes the contraction, deep cleansing breath in and breathe, right? And they sit there and they ruin all this by showing you videos of other people giving birth and you're like, ah, uh, ah, uh, oh my God. Now here's the thing. We walked into this class and Melissa, like, she's like, okay, here we go. And I'm walking into this class and I'm just like, all right, we're going to have a kid. This is going to be amazing. And at the end of it, Melissa was like, man, that was really helpful and insightful. And my anxiety was skyrocketing through the roof, you guys. I was like, what did we do? Like, why are we doing this? What's going to happen to you? Are we sure about this? Like, yeah, what just happened? Now, <laughs> all that to be said, I bring that up because I called the guy that, that uh, Jesus is having a conversation with in our text. I, I call him Nick. And Nick comes to him at night. And Nicodemus has like this really uh, question. He's like, the, the question at hand is like, how does a person become born again? And, and, and in the process of trying to figure out and get to the answer of this, Nick goes and says, well, Jesus, how does an old man like me with a beard go back into the mother's womb? And at that point, I'm sitting going, Nick, I got a new nickname for you, bro. And it's Nasty Nick. Because that's the grossest question that anybody, like, dude, why is that even a thought in your head right now? Like, you need to repent and turn and run away from that thought right now, dude. Like, what's wrong with you? But Jesus tells him that to be born again, a person must be born of water and spirit. And a lot of us know that when it comes to the physical birth of a baby, there comes this wonderful, great, big warning sign, which is the water breaking. And it's <laughs> labor. That's the start. <laughs> uh, but Jesus says that in order to be born again, you got to have the spirit come upon you. And the only way that that happens is exactly the reason why this term followed up after repent, because you have to repent again. You have to turn away from the sinful nature, our natural nature, to be sinful, and you have to run hard after God. And again, hold on to Him with white knuckle intensity, because again, sin is a trap, and it's going to want to keep you there, and it's going to want to pull you away from God. So that's the reason why I followed up, born again or repent with born again, because they go hand in hand with each other. Look at this one, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul writes, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So being born again, guys, hear me, it's not a restart. And I know that we all want this sometimes, like especially when we get done graduating with high school and we step into college, or we're stepping into a new career field, or we move someplace, we want a restart. We want to run away from the things that people identify us as in the past, or the way that people know us in the past, and we want that restart. We want to get away from that messiness. But being born again is not a restart, it's a refresh. Jesus makes value out of your mess to advance his message. Let me repeat that. Your mess that you're trying so hard to run away from, that's the exact thing that Jesus is going to use to advance his message in this world. Don't run from it. Hold on to it and show people how God redeemed you from that. Yeah. Being born again means that you're living a John 3.30 lifestyle. It's thinking of yourself less and thinking of Jesus more. And here's the reason why. When you elevate yourself, what you're actually doing is you're elevating sin. That's why I'm so looking forward to Tina talking about pride. Because that's that one thing. Pride goes before the fall. And sometimes you're going to have to fall to understand it's not about you. It's about Jesus. But when you elevate Jesus, the chains of sin 
are broken and being born again means stepping out of the life that you feel trapped in so you can step into the life that Jesus said we were always meant to have, the life to the fullest. All right. Let's talk about grace. The middle name I wanted for our daughter, but Melissa didn't want it. I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about specifically God's grace. Now, God's grace is probably the one term that is confusing to believers and non-believers alike. And if I were to be completely honest with you guys, as I was working on this message and I was trying to come up with like a clear way to, to define what this is and present it to you guys, the reality is that we will probably never have a full understanding of what God's grace is on this side of eternity. It just won't make any sense to us because it doesn't make sense, right? Because what God's, because it's God's grace that saves us. It was God intervening on our messed up, jacked up, broken lives and saying, hey, I can do something with this. I've got something better planned for you. It was Jesus redeeming us by taking our place on the cross. Now, that doesn't make any sense because that was the debt that we rightfully deserve to pay, right? So if somebody deserves to die, who steps in and intervenes and says, I'll take this on this person's behalf? To be honest with you, not many of us. Because we value ourselves more than we value the life of the person sitting next to us if we're really honest with, with each other. But that's a debt that we couldn't pay. And yet God sat there and looked at everything and went, you can't. I can. So even though it would cost God everything to pay that penalty and redeem us back to him, Eternity with you and me and with God was worth it enough to send Jesus to pay the debt that we rightfully deserve to pay. And guys, get this right. Get this straight. God's grace is a gift because if God didn't give grace to us, then this there would be nothing for us to turn away from sin to. That's all there would be. There, was no, there would be no other option. There, there would be no repenting from anything. There would be nothing to save us from our destructive path. That would mean that this life that we live now ends with a physical death and an eternal death. But it's God's grace. God's grace is a gift. Paul says it in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it, remember? Your good deeds are filthy rags next to what Jesus did for you and me. But this is why we need God, God's grace. It's something we may not fully understand, but because of God's grace was fully displayed when Jesus took the place of the sinner on the cross and died in our place. It's what was freely given to us. Let me try to paint this perfectly clear for you the best I possibly can. Jesus was beaten. He was mocked. He was spat upon. He had his beard ripped from his face. He had nine inch nails go through his hands and feet. Uh, he was whipped 39 times to the point that flesh was ripped off a of bone. Muscle was ripped off a of bone. Vital organs were displayed for all to see. He carried a cross that was nearly two, three hundred pounds to his own death site. And that's what you and I deserve to pay. And Jesus, I know this because I know my God, for the sake of one, would have done that all over again. That's the free gift of God. That's God's grace. Because God so loved the world so much that he gave grace through his son, Jesus Christ. So, let me conclude this thing. The reason why we kicked off this new series with this topic is because of this. I believe that we are all on a spiritual journey. Now again, you guys have heard me say this before, and again, this is a phrase that I'll use over and over and over again because I believe this is true. And we all find ourselves in different spots. Some of us are at the very beginning of this thing, we're just trying to figure out what any of this even means. Hey, is any of this even worth it? Do I even want to commit my life to Jesus? Like, is this something that I want to give my life for? Others of us, we're treading water. 
we're, we're hitting those bumps in the road. We're also having like those really high mountaintop experiences where we're like, yay, God, and we're having those valley lows. We're like, where are you, God? And some of us are even way further along. But here's the thing. Because I believe that we're all on a spiritual journey, that means that it becomes every single one of our responsibilities to help each other maneuver through that spiritual journey. The further along you are on it, the more it becomes your responsibility to reach back and say, I've been there, done that, follow me. That's why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? Again, it's not about you. You're not trying to point somebody to you because you're jacked up, messed up, broken. But as long as you're running hard after God, that's a good example to follow. As long as you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to Jesus. Come along. That's a good example to follow. Because here's the thing. That's what we're about to do. We have the opportunity in a, in a next week to go to UCCS and take this everlasting environment to them. And here's the reason why. Because we cannot continue to sit here and assume that the world is going to come to the church when Jesus called us to go out to the world. Out to the world that sits there and thinks that all these terms that we just looked at tonight are nothing more than Christian gobbledygook. Out to the world that, uh, you know, I'm sorry, to, out into the world that we have to, uh, it's our responsibility to tell them that this is nothing more that is not Christian gobbledygook. That there's actually depth and meaning behind these words. Like, like life is behind these words because there's Jesus in these words. That becomes our responsibility. It becomes our responsibility to let people out there know that there is a God who is for them and not against them. It becomes our responsibility uh, to let people know that life was meant to be better than this. So we do have that opportunity and we're going to UCCS and you guys, my gosh, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be something that we'll all look back on later on in our lives and we'll go, dude, God, I know. God moved, I know. And it's going to be a sweet, sweet time. But throughout this series, as I said at the very beginning, we are going to be addressing topics that people do not see eye to eye on, that are dividing families, dividing friends, dividing churches, and dividing a country. So as I was concluding this message, God really rocked me with something. And as you guys know, I always love to end a message with one thing, that if you got nothing else out of the message, hey, here's that one thing that I want you to walk away with remembering. And so I, God's timing is just is perfect. It's divine. It's awesome. But our one thing for this week, and to be fair, I really want this to be the one thing throughout this series that you meditate on is going to come straight from God's Word. Colossians 3.2 Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. You see, I believe the reason why God gave me that that verse in particular at the time that he gave it to me is because he knew that we were getting ready to launch into this series and he knew that we're addressing the hot topic issues that people are gaining their opinion and they're building their foundation based off of what the world tells them is appropriate. You do you, boo. The problem is, by doing that, the world is leading other people down a path to destruction. And this verse, you guys, has rocked me. It really has. Because it's really reshaped the way that I think about everything. Because, you see, if I'm thinking of the things of heaven and not the things of earth, then, to be fair, that means that my relationship with my wife and our marriage changes completely. Because we've all heard the verses, right? Jesus views us as the church as his bride. So now I'm looking at my wife, and, and this is always has been the case, but, you know, things, whatever, it's weird. But, <laughs> but I'm now looking at my wife through, again, the lens of Jesus. How does, how does God treat Melissa? Am I falling short of that? Every single stinking day. Every day. If I'm thinking of the things of heaven and not of earth, our baby that's on the way how do I raise her up? How do I lead her to be 
a God-fearing woman in a world that doesn't fear God. It changes the way I think about how I'm going to raise my daughter. If I'm thinking of the things of heaven and not of earth, then it changes the way that I view and value life. And that goes from the unborn child all the way to the oldest person hanging on a thread, hanging by a thread on their deathbed, and even to the most jacked up, messed up person on death row. Life is meant to be valued. If I'm thinking of the things of heaven and not of earth, it changes the way I think how I treat my body. Because if this is the one shot God's given me, I refuse to let the poor eating choices and the alcohol consumption and the drugs and everything else to be the thing that poisons the one body that God gave me to glorify Him on this earth. Because you guys, God's called me into ministry. Dang it be all if I'm the reason why His plans and purpose for my life is cut short because I was sinful and I didn't know when to say no and stop things I shouldn't be doing anyways with my body. And if you really think about it, this is the reason why this verse has been rocking with me. It's because this list goes on and on and on. You could seriously just meditate on this one verse alone for the rest of your life. When you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, think of the things of heaven, not of earth. <laughs> right? Like it's the simple things. Like your life just completely changes. It's that 180 approach if you're thinking of the things of heaven and not of earth. So that's going to be the running verse throughout this series. We're going to address these topics, whether the world hates us or loves us for it. We're going to address this topic, these topics, and we're going to address them through thinking of the things of heaven and not the things of earth. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on any new content. If you are a young adult in the Colorado Springs area, be sure to check out Everlast on Wednesday nights from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. at 501 Castle Road, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80904. For more information, please visit our website at cwccs.org. God bless.